This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, Nick Loper here from the Side Hustle Show. When I'm not helping people earn money outside of their day job, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and here in the basement, we know you're craving two things. Poor toilet paper and inspiration to get you through this. While we can't help with number one, we'll sure pitch in on number two. Today, let's introduce you to one woman who paid off $11,000 of high-interest debt while making less than $35,000. The woman behind the My Debt Epiphany blog, Chauncey Maddox-Ray. She'll help you remember that anything's possible. Plus, as we walk through today's headlines, we'll ask the question, in this environment, why shouldn't you use leveraged funds? It could be a bigger disaster than you think. Later, as we answer the Haven Lifeline, our caller says their new big salary is burning a hole in their pocket. I wish I had that problem. Should they wait until the market has settled before investing? And don't you worry, I'll make sure we still have some time for my amazing trivia. And now, two guys who have never experienced something burning a hole in their pocket, except that time OG tried to hide the fireworks, it's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J-G. I remember that time. That was a disaster. Fireworks, your pants, trying to get those out of the basement. It was a bad That's day. That's what they all say. It was a bad, bad day. Hey, everybody. Those fireworks in your pants? <laughs> yes, there you are. It's explosive. Hey, welcome to... Uh, Welcome to Awkward Podcast R Us. My name's Joe Salcihi. I'm Average Joe Money on Twitter and across the card table from me for a glorious day in the basement, just like every other day in the basement. No difference, really. It's Mr. OG. I was a little bit of a firework person back in the day. A firework bug, so to speak. Some stories. Didn't your house burn down because your brother liked playing with fire? Yeah. Yeah, not good. Yeah. Not down, down. Didn't burn down, like, you know, to the ground, but the entire upstairs did. Just half of it burned. Just, yeah. It's it was technicality. No exactly. Right. The insurance guy said it was a fire. <laughs> Whatever. And didn't want to pay <laughs> because it might have been considered arson. Arson in air quotes. Arson. Mm -hmm. Yes. Hey, today's show is brought to you by The Stacker. That's where you're going to not only get uh, life lessons from Joe, but you also 
will get all the things going on here in the basement, not just during this time. We've had some great uh, Facebook Lives. We had our quarantini on uh, Thursday, you, me, and our friend Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. That was fun, OG. I'm glad I was able to make it. it was, I was so glad you could make it. And uh, we're going to try to do more of those as everybody else is feeling what it's like to hole up in the basement. This we, is what it's like to be in the basement <laughs> all the exactly. time. I know you all wanted to be us, but look at how you got there. No, man, listening to the radio and hearing about first responders and first responders who don't want to go home because they don't want to infect their family and hotels that are putting them up for free. And Mm -hmm. man, if you're listening to us for a little entertainment while you're on the front line fighting this thing, thank you so much. And uh, we hope that uh, we've got some inspiration for you because not not from us, by the way, just to be clear, Chauncey Medics Ray did a great job at paying off a lot of debt without making a lot of money. You know, you hear a lot of the time people will call into Dave Ramsey and they'll say, hey, I paid off $150,000 of debt. I make $400,000 a year. And I did it in seven years. Aren't I amazing? (laughs) Right. It took me 21 years, but I survived. No, Chauncey did it in a short amount of time and making less than $35,000 a year. We're going to hear her story today. But first, believe it or not, OG... There may be a couple headlines to pick from for today's show. Might be one or two. Let's see what we got. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. First headline comes to us from a little publication called the Wall Street Journal. Uh, We're recording this on Friday. This may be passed by the time. uh, Yeah, by the time you hear this. This is written by Natalie Andrews and Siobhan Hughes. House leaders were scrambling to bring back enough legislators to form a quorum to pass a $2 trillion economic rescue package after Republican lawmakers suggested he might object to holding the vote using a procedure that avoids putting members on the record. Representative uh, Thomas Massey from Kentucky told a local radio station he'd vote against the bill and suggested he might object to allowing the bill to pass by voice vote. Mr. Massey forced a roll call vote. The House would need a majority of the chamber, 216 votes, in order to proceed with the vote. Otherwise, voting be delayed until enough lawmakers could return to Washington. Uh, spokeswoman for Mr. Massey didn't respond to requests for comments. I don't want to get into that too much. I want to talk about what's in this. The Senate version, this package, $454 billion is loans to businesses. $349 billion is loans to small businesses. Hospitals and veterans care will get $117 billion. Uh, $198 is other, but $301 are household payments. Uh, there's a $221 billion tax deferrals and extended deadlines, $150 billion aid to state, unemployment insurance, $250 billion, airlines and cargo carriers. Am I supposed to be writing all this down? Yes. Airlines and cargo carriers getting $29,000. Here's the deal, OG. There's a good chance. Oh, they're only getting $29,000. Perfect. Uh, $29 billion. Sorry. Yes, getting $29 airlines. Here, United, uh, I haven't felt like that about United, but I sure have felt that way about American Airlines before. Hey, how about 29 bucks for that stellar service you've given me? Let's let's chat about, uh, about this, OG, from an individual perspective. Let's start there. If this passes by the time this goes goes live, heck, even if it doesn't, I don't think there's very many people that think that we won't have something in the next few days. We don't know what the final version looks like, but uh, what should people be looking out for as individuals? Well, I want to think about it from the perspective of what do you have to do or not do 
if you're a business owner or if you're, you know, an, an individual, the first thing is, is that you will have to do almost nothing in order to qualify for any uh, grant payments or stimulus payment checks or whatever. And I want people to recognize you don't have to give anybody your social security number. You know, this is also a huge time for fraud. You don't have to pay somebody to get it. You don't have to confirm your bank account information with somebody on the phone. You know, the government has all of this stuff already. Now there's, there's the stuff that I read about, Hey, they're going to deposit it in your account. The one that they have on file from your tax return information. And yeah, maybe that's not the same one. Well, guess what? They'll figure that out. You'll get a check. You know, they're going to mail everybody. I just got in the mail last week, a postcard from the CDC that was, you know, dear us resident. (laughs) I mean, they know who lives where don't fall into the trap of getting involved maybe in some uh, potential fraud or something like that. If, if somebody calls you on the phone and says, Hey, we want to send you your stimulus check, but we need your bank account first. That's not legitimate. Probably most people listening to this understand that and know that, but maybe, you know, your parents don't, or your grandparents might not or something like that. So kind of spread the message there. If you happen to be a business owner and you've been affected by lost wages or, or your, you know, your business being closed down or lost revenue or whatever, there's going to be programs for business owners as well. And it's too early to tell. And I don't even think the bankers know exactly what is going on with that stuff either. But there are some things that we do know. They're not just going to blindly give you a check for $800,000. Cause you said you're good for it. You know, that's going to have, I know it really is actually, you are going to have to do some work though. You're going to have to provide your tax returns for the last three years. You're going to have to provide a personal financial statement. You're going to have to provide a balance sheet for your business, a profit and loss statement for the last couple of years, your personal tax returns for the last several, three years. And while you're sitting around trying to figure out whether or not any of this applies to you, you can save a lot of time and energy by getting all of that together, putting it in PDF, getting it all in one zip file so that when the availability of that money is there, if you qualify, you're not going, well, what do I need? Oh, a tax return from what year? Yeah. Oh, 2016. Hold on. Let me look it up. Cause guess what? There's like whatever, 95 million small businesses in America. All of them are hurting. And a lot of them know that this stimulus is available. This package is available. You don't want to be number 82,973,321 on the list of people the Chase bankers got to deal with today. Try to be first. Yeah, so reach so out to the, I mean, not only get all that stuff in, in order, but if I'm hearing you right, reach out to small business bankers now. If it's Monday, we don't have a stimulus package and you've got a small business, reach out now. Yeah, and find out what they need. But I know that they're going to need this. Sure. Stuff. This is what they need for every loan. Yes. You know, so the rest of this stuff, you know, are things that we really don't have to concern ourselves with unless you happen to run an airline or you happen to run a cruise ship line or something like that. In which case, give me a shout, you know, happy to uh, go on some free cruises. You know, if you need to drum up some business, let me know. I like those two points. I think when it comes to individuals and these checks coming, I've seen people talk different ways about, okay, how are you going to use this? How are you going to use this? I think there's a difference. Well, yes, yes. I mean, if you're... I mean, mostly groceries and mostly rent. Those are, I mean, those are the two things. If you're the 1% of America so far that's already on the unemployment rolls as of last week, that's exactly what you're going to use it for. If you still have work, though, and you're worried about your work, 
you need to keep it in a liquid position. You have to put it in a spot that helps you get along. I wouldn't pre-book the cruise while prices what? are low. I wouldn't. Oh. I wouldn't uh, plan the next uh, Disney vacation. I don't think I'm going to be booking any cruise actually yeah, ever <laughs> in my entire life. I, w- I wouldn't be planning the next vacation. I wouldn't be uh, buying the big screen TV. Uh, those are the things I think that you know. This is a stimulus package. It's meant to stimulate the economy. Uh, they want people with groceries and rent. They want people to spend money, but I think that groceries and rent, emergency fund. Pay off your debt so that your uh, monthly outgo is lower. A lot of things that you probably should have done while the economy was moving, now you've got one more chance. I think it's also important to recognize that if you do happen to find yourself in some financial trouble, getting ahead of it is really the most important thing. It's not, it's not good enough to you know, just sit back and say, well, they'll, they'll figure out that I can't pay my mortgage you know, when I don't pay the check, oh, you know, one. you have to call them and let them know. And banks are willing to work with you. You know, your loan companies are willing to work with you if you let them know what's going on. Uh, the other thing I was thinking about the other day is this. There's there's so much so much stuff going on, right? There's a lot of news and the data and 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 it's just coming at you like a million miles an hour. And it's almost like, you know, the scene from Lion King where the wildebeest are all just running you know, they got like two of them got spooked by the hyenas and they all start running. And then what happens? Everybody starts running. And if you could ask the last wildebeest, why are you going this way? He would just go, oh, I don't know. Everybody else is running. I figured out how to run too. And sometimes we feel like that we're going through our life and we see all this stuff and all this chaos is going on around us. And we're like, oh my gosh, I should probably also be running in this direction. But when it comes to financial decisions, I want you to think about going extra, extra, extra slowly like obnoxiously slowly in your decision making because everything else around you is going so fast. It's going to feel like you have to make a fast decision, whether it's something like, what do I do with my stimulus check? If I get one, do I invest it? Do I save it? Do I put it in the, you know, just go slow. If you end up not needing the money and you want to buy stocks with it, you'll get a good price. It might not be the best price. It might not be the absolute low bottom tick down that, that makes you the genius but it'll be a good price. So just go slow. And I think that goes for all of our financial decisions right now. There's, there's nothing that's going on. That's so important that you have to make a like, Oh my gosh, I got to do this right now. Don't fall into that trap. Unless you're a small business owner, then get your stuff together right now. (laughs) Unless you're that guy, (laughs) then, then that you have to do. Uh, But I get it. When you're emotional, you have to be able to realize that you're in emotional times. And this isn't just for this crisis. It's when We've seen this when people have loved ones pass away, when, you know, when there's great times, right? When people have won the lottery, you see people make a bunch of dumb decisions and blow a lot of money and they're... God, I'd love to have, I'd love to have, make some dumb decisions with money. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't, you? wouldn't that be great? This is actually the perfect time to dream about that stuff. Imagine, yeah. imagine I could go where there was other people and... I know. I could be and driving on the highway and not be accosted by the police and have to show my papers like I'm essential. <laughs> Leave me alone. Our second headline comes to us from Bloomberg. We're going to see a lot of this. This is written by uh, Jakob Petersell. Two leveraged oil products shut down in the wake of epic crash. Who thought this would happen? The spectacular exactly crash. Exactly what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. The spectacular crash in, in oil prices. 
back here at the start of March, claimed its first victims among exchange-traded products. Two highly leveraged instruments in Europe will shudder as a result of the maelstrom. The Wisdom Tree Brent Crude Oil 3X Daily Leveraged. I'm sorry. Get some. Did I laugh there? And the Wisdom Tree WTI Crude Oil 3X Daily Leverage products. More like WTF. Right. Will both be terminated due to an extreme adverse move in oil futures, according to a notice on the issuer's website. So that's interesting. Wisdom Tree, huh? Who's uh, a prominent figure at Wisdom Tree? Uh, Jeremy Siegel. Hmm. Weird. You think he was really excited about the Wisdom Tree WTF Oil 3X <laughs> Bull Fund Daily Futures Option Strategy or whatever the hell you just got done saying? <laughs> it's just the words Wisdom Tree and 3X Daily Leveraged Crude Futures does not, uh, those, th- those two things don't go together. Turns out they're all in business to try to make money. Here's a, a big, I think, takeaway from this one. You know, regardless of this bet or other bets, this is this is the time when these individual bets fail, right? We've had, I had somebody reach out to me and ask about uh, betting on airline stocks right now. This is the time when companies fail. A, I think that betting on individual companies growing concerns like individual stocks is incredibly risky in this environment OG but taking something where taking an ETF which is a leveraged ETF which means that you are just purely speculating on the price of oil going one way or another way this is an investment this is a bet and a bet in oh yeah 100% it is and that's why it went away and people ask well how can they you know if i get if i get three times the daily movement I mean, what's the likelihood of this thing going down? I mean, it'd have to go down 30% in one day for me to be zeroed out. Yep. And that's what happened. <laughs> Boom. It's like, well, that shouldn't happen. Well, I agree. Shouldn't, but it did. And there you go. There's that. In fact, most fun companies, you know, and this one in particular, they have even other limits as well. It's not just, hey, if we go to zero, we go to zero. Like it's, if we lose 75% of our money in one day, we're out because they still have to wind up operations. You know, there's still final tax returns to send out and people to pay and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So we're not going to let it go to zero and then come out of pocket on their own or call you the shareholder and say, Hey, we're going to need you to kick in 12 bucks for the 1099. We got to send you next year. So that's why it's so frustrating. It's, it's, it's going to the casino. I mean, it really is. It's with this sort of stuff. You might be right. And if you're right, you're right big. And if you're wrong, you're wrong. Yeah, and then you get that, you know, gambler's fallacy, right? Where you look at it and you say, ha, I got a hot hand. I can do no wrong. I got I got gold in them their fingers. <laughs> What's our lesson there? Stick to the fundamentals, youngin'? That's uh, so boring, but sure. Yes, I think that's our uh, first takeaway. Second takeaway is you're somebody that has a business, get in line. You're somebody who doesn't have a business. That check comes. Time to use it wisely. Chance Maddox Ray is a personal finance writer, recent college grad. She helps ambitious millennials and Gen Z recent college grads want to be entrepreneurs get unstuck and helps them OG regain control of their money. 
I had to go through this process. I remember just how bad it was. I'm sure Chauncey remembers how bad it was for her at one point. I think for some of us, man, we have to learn a hard lesson. But hopefully you can learn from Chauncey's lesson because she's very, very willing to tell it. We'll ask her about how she paid off her debt and had her debt epiphany. Chauncey Maddox-Ray from MyDebtEpiphany.com coming down to the basement. And here she comes down the stairs, the woman behind my dead epiphany, our friend Chauncey. How are you? Hey, good. How are you? Well, I'm great now that you're here because I love inspiring stories. I mean, full well knowing that at the time, Chauncey, I'm sure it wasn't inspiring at all. I want to start with your story, actually, kind of in a place where mine uh, went, which was your low point. My low point, and this will sound a little familiar to you, I think, my car had run out of gas. I was a financial flipping planner and my car had run out of gas and I didn't have any money. I had no money in the bank. I went through the cushions of my minivan looking for quarters. And I think I found like two quarters, a couple dimes, a nickel and a bunch of pennies. And I had to walk like three quarters of a mile to get some gas. They, they wanted some money as a deposit for the can. They actually ended up just taking my driver's license and I had to drive back there to give him the cam back. You have a surprisingly similar story about uh, looking for quarters. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And just so you know, that's like one of my, my nightmares is running out of gas and having to, you know, oh. deal with all that. Yeah, I could imagine. But I definitely found myself in a very similar place. I was very just short on money and I had debt and it was around 2014 I believe I went to um, try to go wash my clothes uh, one day. Luckily, we had like washers at our apartment, but you had to pay for them. And I just didn't have the money to even do that. And I just kind of had like a breakdown point. I started going outside and looking on the ground to see if anyone had dropped any change. I looked at my couch. So I was like, I just need a little bit of money to wash my clothes. And then I just kind of had a point where I kind of just snapped. I call that my epiphany moment. And I was just like, what are you doing? Like, why? are you doing this? And I got really, really mad about my situation. I got mad about being broke and not having money and having debt. And I just really wanted more for my life. And I kind of just put my foot down and was like, no more. How did you get to that point? Let's talk about that. How much debt did you have and how did you get it? Ended up starting out when I kind of felt like kind of weird. I feel like I was in college and I was taking out loans and it was this atmosphere where nobody was really talking about it. Like we were all taking out loans and we're just like, yeah, we're going to get a job when we graduate or everything's going to be fine. Or let's just not think about it right now. Let's just keep, you know, buying food or whatever. And I was different than your traditional college student because I was a mom as well. So it was a challenging for me to also be a mom, take care of my son, do classes, work, all this stuff. And then I was still getting into debt, you know, like an average college student. So I ended up getting into like $30,000 of debt. I racked up about $20,000 of student loans, which, you know, is kind of okay. It's average, but I did get some financial aid and stuff, but just, it was overwhelming because I was low income. I didn't know where I was going to find work. I was a mom. And then what I try to explain to people on my blog and just with my story is that debt, it can grow very easily. So, you know, as I started to focus and pay down my debt, my debt started growing and I ended up being faced with $50,000 of debt that I had to pay off, you know, with credit cards, medical bills, stuff like that. So I'm glad I woke up when I did, but it was just a point where I was like, I couldn't breathe. You know, I felt like I was just being smothered by just having 
so much to pay and not knowing what I was going to do about it. Didn't want to live that way anymore. Yeah, it's funny. I remember feeling that way myself, and I was not a I was not a single mom. I had uh, Cheryl, my wife. Uh, well, she was going through school at the time, but still, I had somebody to lean on. You know, I had, I had another support person for our two young kids. I want to go through a couple things you said because I think that they're really interesting, Chauncey. The first thing is you were talking about you and your friends, and everybody was getting into student loan debt. You coach people now about having better money habits. And you still got to hear that all the time, I would think. Or do you hear that all the time that, hey, everybody has student loans, everybody has debt, so it's no big deal? Yeah, it's definitely been normalized a lot in society, just having debt. It's just what you do. People expect it. I remember, you know, when I was getting into college, I knew I had to take out student loans because I felt like there was no other option. So I think for me, it's just what I like to ask people is, what do you really want? Because your spending and your money habits are going to reflect what your life is like. So do you want to live within your means and, you know, enjoy the benefits of that? Or do you want to spend more than you earn and be in debt? So it really depends on what you want to do with your money. But just realizing that in order to get out of debt, you have to think and you have to act differently. So you kind of have to change up what you're doing. You can't get out of debt doing the same stuff you did. It's just like with the diet, you know, you can't eat like crap and then, you know, fix your health if you're not willing to change. Well, that's crap. I'm out of here. I don't. <laughs> but, but, don't tell me about it. But do people, when you're coaching people, they have a hard time with that with that question? Because I would imagine a lot of people do. The question of what do you want to do with your money? Yeah, sometimes they do. But it really, it gets them thinking, you know? It really convicts people, you know? And the right person who's in that place in their life that's not just talking and saying, I want to change, I want to do better. But they're actually like, I was like fed up. I'm tired of my situation. Like something has to change now. I'm willing to do what it takes. Like it really helps them open their eyes and really start to attack and change their mindset, which jump starts the process. So 2013, your lowest moment, 2014, you say, I've had enough. Tell me about how you change. So you got the right mindset now. What did you do tactically then to pivot? I started out getting honest with myself. I know when I was very low income, I wasn't really making too much money at all. And I felt like budgeting was pointless. There's really no point. Like I don't have anything to budget with. What is the point of figuring out what's going on? And I just was in a position where I was complaining about my situation, but I wasn't doing anything. So like you said, like, what did I do? I started being honest, figuring out what was going on with my money. And it was really hard at first because like, okay, I have to see what I'm spending money on. I I'm having an income. It's something. So I have to work with what I have, you know? So I started looking at expenses that I could lower. So I'm a writer. So I went to college for journalism and I, you know, got a couple of uh, assignments and a couple of things I was doing. But I remember when I graduated, I told myself like, I am no longer writing for free anymore. I'm going to figure out how to get my income up. So I ended up getting a job in content writing and I thought it was the best thing ever because I was making $15 an hour. Yay. <laughs> so from there, Hey, that was a step up. I had a little bit more money now and I had something to budget with, but I realized that that didn't go too far. So I had to well, my strategy was to keep living like a college student, you know, keep the you know same apartment. I didn't move from my college town. I had the same apartment, no frills. I kept my expenses low. Um, I got rid of a lot of things and I just got creative with what I had and started, you know, living below my means. That way I could free up money to put toward my debt. And then once I realized that I had cut as much as I could, because I had to figure out my level of comfort, you know, like there were certain things I wasn't willing to do. Like I was not willing to go move back in with my parents. You know, that's an option for some people. It just wasn't an option for me and I wasn't able to do it. So I had to figure out what could I do 
um, once I figured out what I was doing to save, then I was like, okay, now it's time to figure out how I can earn more money because I want to speed up the process. I like that a lot because a lot of people try to cut the budget, which to your point, I think is really important to do. But the fact that you looked at income right away and said, how can I make more money? Like to some degree, people that you coach, it's got to be an income problem for a lot of people. Yes. I tell people either you have a spending problem or you have an income problem, but a lot of people have both. And they also have a mindset problem too, because in order to make more money, you have to believe that you can, uh, that you deserve to earn, earn more money. And me coming from being low income, having government assistance, my mom was a single mom when I was in middle school trying to break through that mindset and saying, Hey, you know, I deserve to make more money. I have skills and all that are marketable in the workplace. That's what's going to help me get to the next level. I can't just sit here and accept what I have right now. And you've seen these statistics as much as I have too, Chauncey. A lot of women especially are afraid to ask for more money, right? They'll yes. be accused of rocking the boat. They're accused of, well, they're accused of all kinds of stuff that a lot of men are never <laughs> accused of. Yeah. But when you asked for more money, how did that go? Most of the time I ended up getting more money. Yeah. I felt really good. And I got to the point where I was like, well, you know what? The worst someone can say is no. And an awkward conversation is not the end of the world, you know? And I was lucky that when I got my content writing job, my boss was very nice. I worked at a company where it was mostly men there. And it was like me and maybe one other girl that came later. But every year he'd sit us down, you do a review. And then he would give us a raise without us even asking. And I almost wish that I would have tried to negotiate a little bit more or been strategic, but I felt like I had never gotten a raise before. I worked a job in college for three years where they basically told us like, you're not getting a raise. And that really like worked on me and my mindset. And I was like, well, I'm not even going to ask. Like they don't, or I'm thinking like, oh, they don't have the money to give us or like all these things, you know, and just thinking that you're not good enough or you're not deserving of a raise. And that really did a number, you know, on me. And then when I got to this other position, I was just so grateful just being at that small startup that I realized that, hey, that doesn't have to be reality, you know, and it's not scary. You know, even now when I work with clients and stuff, I, I feel like it's not scary to put that out there. And I feel like every year, you know, inflation, cost of living goes up that we should be, you know, striving to earn to our full potential. It's funny just asking. I mean, we talked a second ago about uh, women afraid to ask. And yet you see these other studies about bosses and bosses. A lot of bosses are like your nice boss, where if you just ask them and you do it the right way, they're happy to give it to you. I mean, if they have it, uh, they may. So I thought that, and I love your point about the awkward conversation too. What's the worst they can say? It's no. Yeah, exactly. And I had a, a just a quick book recommendation for anyone who may be feeling like they want that extra confidence boost. Overcoming Under Earning by Barbara Stanny is something that I read. Oh, cool. And I thought it was very helpful. She did a lot of interviews with a lot of women who were under earners and they weren't earning. It's not about always making like the most money in the world, but they weren't earning up to their full potential, you know, for their role. So I thought that was very helpful for me. That's awesome. And for people on their commute, I'll include that in our, in our show notes as well. Yeah. Um, uh, you talked about, you cut expenses because it sounds like expenses like they were for me, John say we're pretty close to the boat already, but yes. wait, wait, what did you cut? I kind of just took, cause from there I had a budget and I did like a traditional line by line. And I just started going line by line basically and seeing what could I cut. I try to focus on some of the big ones. For me, housing was a big one. I knew that I could cut expenses here and there, but $10 here, $10 there was not really going to do a lot. So I tried to focus on some of the bigger things. That was a choice I had to make. It was a sacrifice, you know, just staying in that same affordable housing in that cheap college town. But that saved me a lot of money. I think it saved me around like 300 
plus dollars a month. Wow. And that was big for me just being able to put more toward my debt. And then I also tried to focus on lowering expenses that, you know, were important, but that it wasn't like it was such a huge deal in my life, like insurance, like people, some people don't realize that you can shop around, you know, for different car insurance. And with me, I was like, I think I was like under 25. So car insurance was expensive. So comparing and shopping around online, I think the average, you know, American should look around and see what offers are available at least every one to two years. You know, there's comparison sites like the Zebra and other things like that where you can see, because I got like some ridiculous, crazy high quotes and people were like, oh, there's nothing I could do. But then I ended up finding other companies that were able to offer something better for me at the time. That's great advice. I talked to an insurance agent. It's been several years ago now. And he talks about a lot of the time, Chauncey, and you already know this, so I'm talking to the audience much more than you. He said that just every time you have a birthday, different insurance companies like people that are different ages. And so every time you have a birthday, there's a good chance that your insurance company doesn't like you as much as they used to. But there's also an equally as good chance that now you're in somebody's radar who you might not have been before. So every couple of years looking at that is really good. And I also think... When you talked about saving like $300 in housing, you see so many people, and you must see this when you start working with people, they focus on these small things like clipping coupons. Mm -hmm. And I think about how the hell many coupons do you have to clip to get $300 of of savings? That's a hell of a lot of coupons to get to that point. Yep, exactly. And it's a lot of effort too. So for me, I didn't have a lot of time. So I had to find like, I wanted to focus on things I could do like once or twice, and that would just keep me spending less money. If I could put certain things on autopilot, you know, with my meals that we ate and, you know, just eating more at home and maybe having one day where we dine out or something and just kind of give me less decisions, less time, less energy, because you have to realize like, what are you getting in return for it? People that are cutting expenses often worry about their friends and about, you know, I might have to take something over to a friend's house if I'm getting together and I don't have money to do that. Or somebody wants to meet at a expensive restaurant or whatever that might be. How did your friends react to the new Chauncey? Kind of weird at first. I will admit I did go a little. That's why I think it's so important to find like what level of comfort do you want to be at? Because like, you know, if you want to be frugal, that's great. I consider myself a frugal person, but I also don't mind spending money on what's important to me. So like, how far do you want to take it? And when I started, I was desperate. Like I told you, I was fired up. I was ready to go. And I took it really, really extreme. Baking my own bread from scratch. And my friend came over and she's like, what are you doing? I was like, I have no idea. And so they kind of, you know, we were a little weirded out at first. And I was like, yeah, we can go, you know, do this free stuff here or whatever. But something that I tell my son now, because he's, you know, in school and they're getting influenced by each other, all the kids. And I'm just like, sometimes you just have to take a stand and, Oftentimes your friends will, they'll respect you for it. You know, your real friends, they may even be inspired by you. You know, a lot of my friends have been inspired to learn about saving, learn about paying off debt. You know, they asked me, how can I, you know, save and invest in my retirement? So something great ended up coming out of it. And, you know, my true friends were like, cool, you know, if that's what you want to do, we'll, you know, hang out with you or whatever, or come to your house and this and this. And then later on, you know, I started getting into Groupon and finding, you know, ways to do that. And now I have a friend, we go out all the time from high school and we always eat sushi together because my husband and my son like hate sushi. So I have no one to eat it with. So I'm like, I'm just going to be alone. (laughs) So we go out and we eat sushi and like, 
90% of the time we use a Groupon. He'll buy it one time, I'll buy it one time, and we'll just go and have a good time. And, you know, oh, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> you, in 2015, uh, paid off $11,000 in debt, including your high interest car note. And yet in 2015, even though you're making more money, you wrote somewhere that you were making still less than $35,000 a year at that time. Yes. So I started with a content writing job in 2014. I think I got hired in July and then I ended up getting a little bit of a raise. I think I started earning like maybe 1650 or something. And then um, I had started exploring earning extra money, but it wasn't taking off as much, but it was helping. That's when I was just, you know, trying to cut stuff and then also trying to earn a little bit more, you know, like, like I'd got a raise and I was trying to do stuff on the side. So that was big for me. Yeah. And I also um, just tried to manage whatever windfalls came through. What I loved about my job at the time was that they offered a bonus opportunity. You could earn a couple hundred dollars a month because we would launch websites. So it's if we met our goal for launching the websites and we would all get a bonus. So that was helpful. That just went straight to debt. That's fantastic. You also had something else happen in 2000. 16, as you were getting more secure, 2016 was a year of love for Chauncey. Oh, yes. <laughs> you got married, and yeah. but you did it like our friend Sandy Smith, who came on and talked about her. I don't know if you know Sandy, but she came yes. on and talked about her inexpensive wedding. You also had a very frugal wedding. Yeah, I just decided that we wanted to get married. And I thought at first, like, maybe I should wait till I pay off all my debt. And then I was like, well, I don't want to stop life. You know, there's certain decisions that I want to make. And I think everyone's different. So we decided that, you know, my condition was let's not get into any more debt. Let's pay for the wedding in cash. And then, you know, let's not accumulate any more debt. We were able to do that. You know, I think we only spent like maybe 7,000 or so on the wedding and we had around a hundred people and it was great. Yeah. (laughs) That's incredible. Where were the big places that you cut? Yeah. So we had a cash bar. I'd always heard, you know, stories of just people drinking too much or whatever. And, you know, of course that did happen, but we didn't do an open bar because my husband and I are not really big drinkers. And we just sat down when we started planning. We're like, what do we want for us? Because everyone's going to try to get in our ear and tell us what we should do or what they want. What do we want? Like, what's going to make this day special? So we realized that we didn't want to have an open bar, even though we had a cash bar there, which was fine. And we did a champagne toast for everybody. We booked our wedding at a all-inclusive venue. And that saved us a ton because the reception was included. The food was included. um, We even had a day of wedding coordinator. And also the table centerpieces with fresh flowers was included. So I didn't even have to decorate really. And then I had a friend help with my bouquets. And I ended up getting my dress from David's Bridal for 500 bucks. And then the other tip that I thing people don't realize a lot is that you can go to bridal expos and you can win free stuff. So I walked around at an expo (laughs) and I signed up for everything. And even though they'll call you and talk about cruises, I ended up winning. I won like a hand mixer, which was cool. And then I won, um, at the tuxedo place and I ended up winning half of the guy's tuxes. And I got like, my husband had a free tux to keep. They all got a discount because I just won the raffle. So it's just cool to just check little stuff like that out. That's fantastic. If only there were a place where you wrote and where people could find you normally to hear more (laughs) inspiring stories. Is there such a place? Yes, there is such a place. (laughs) (laughs) Too lucky day. (laughs) Are you sitting down? Right. Uh, uh, But but you write at My Dead Epiphany. Tell everybody when they go to My Dead Epiphany, what are they going to find? Yeah. So when you go to MyDeadEpiphany.com, you will find... 
lots of content, lots of resources to help you. I focus on helping people pay off debt. And I talk a lot about earning extra money, like I said, you know, because that's really what's going to help you fuel your debt payoff, especially if you're coming from a low income background like me. So you're going to find, you know, extra income ideas, side hustle strategies, tips to save, pay off debt. Um, and then I've also started talking about money mindset a little bit more and just yeah. as that helps you progress on your journey. So I recently published a, a ebook called Mindset Over Money and it's on Amazon. So it's some great stuff in there as well. But yeah, you can find a lot of ton of stuff on the blog. It's it's awesome. And I know that uh, you teach people how to start blogs as well. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah good stuff. And by the way, we'll link to My Debt Epiphany on our show notes page at stackybedjamins.com. Shante, I'm so happy that you could come on and hang out with us. I really appreciate you coming down to the basement. Yes. Thank you so much for having me in the basement. <laughs> Enjoyed it. Hey there, trivia fans. I got to tell you, it's tiring being the voice of reason here in the basement. There's a guy who fixes the mics, duct tape people, duct tape, sweeps the floors and who always runs up and begs Joe's mom to quit vacuuming so we can actually do this podcast. You'd think I'd get a little respect good workplace environment is clearly the key to success with that in mind uh, here's a question i've been trying to figure out myself what's the number one complaint employees have when it comes to managers i know what my biggest complaint is not enough ice cream in that deep freeze but i'll i'll have the official and probably not as great answer right after the break Hola, welcome to Spanish Made Easy with me, your host, Jen Hemphill from the Her Dinero Matters podcast. Today, I'm joined by the host of the popular How to Money podcast, Matt Altmix. And together, we will share a popular and simple Spanish phrase so you too can use it in your own life. Sound easy? Sure. Today's phrase is Tony. I'm not sure your life insurance benefit is high enough for you to pound tequila like that. In Spanish, you would say this popular phrase just like this. Tony, no creo que el pago de tu seguro de vida es lo suficientemente alto como para que tomes tequila de esa manera. Now let's hear the co-host of How to Money, Matt. Try it. Ready, Matt? All right, guys, you chose the right man for the job. Here we go. Tony, no creo que el pago de tu segura de vida es lo suficientemente alto como para que tomos tequila de esa manera. That was, that was just perfect. Perfect. See how we sound almost exactly alike? You too can speak Spanish easily and comfortably listening to Stacking Benjamins. See you next time. Ciao. Welcome back, future bosses. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. During this downturn, it turns out that the biggest complaint employees have when it comes to their managers is that they haven't stocked enough high-quality toilet paper they can steal. <laughs> That's what Gertrude said upstairs a minute ago. But according to a LinkedIn survey, the answer to this question 
What is the number one complaint employees have when it comes to their managers? Well, the answer is not having clear expectations. Turns out that U.S. companies are spending $160 billion a year on turnover costs. So you'll want to be crystal clear on when you buy snacks for your basement. Exactly when you're going to lay them out so everyone can partake. Oh, gee, I'm talking to you. And when you want mic help without having to scream. And when you're buying a fresh pack of TP so Gertrude can steal it. Be very clear. Or try this one out when you're talking to the Fintern. Hey, Fintern! Give me a triple shot soy milk, low-fat, extra cream, caramel frappuccino, and hold the cream. This figure doesn't keep itself. See ya. And that, OG, is how you end up with another cup of hot chocolate. I was going to say I'm pretty close to I was pretty close to being right. It's 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 pretty mixed up. And you yes. never listen, Joe. You you were no clear expectations, not listening. A big lesson. And I would have to say that, especially now when you've got workers uh, working remotely, everybody's working remotely big time to, I think, to have clear expectations of your people, because I would imagine everybody's brain is a little more divided these days than uh, than the usual day at work. What's that? Sorry, I'm on Instagram. (laughs) Let's just throw out Haven Lifeline. And tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. I'm sorry, did you need something? They put what you is value that, first. Is that is that joke too long? That's too long. It's too many times? We're past that one, yeah. Can I do it one more time? <laughs> I value presently making joe frustrated that's that is and i feel like i'm being successful that is the number one life skill that og has it's actually buying quality term life insurance oh it's your it's your loved ones at your time which is also by also buying life which is why which is why how many times we've done this read it's why they made buying quality term life insurance actually simple Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now for a free quote. You've got time for a free quote now. I mean, time for the long, uh, the long, long way if you want it. But if you want to get back to family board game night, probably just go to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. And today we're throwing out the lifeline to Simon. Say hi, Simon. Hey, OG and Doug. It's Simon Lime here. Uh, Thanks for taking time to answer my question. I recently started a new job that pays significantly higher than anything I've had before. It's like my first like big boy job. And admittedly, I haven't really paid attention to my finances as I should have before. The cash that I have now is burning a hole in my pocket. I don't want to get it safe before I spend it all. So my coworker suggested waiting until the market is smooth again. But I figured why wait? Like even if it goes down more, it's bound to go up eventually. And why wait till it's back on track? Thank you for your time. Hey there. Fantastic question. And by the way, I think he had us at I have a job at this point. Nice. I was going to say nice, nice humble brag. Right. Hey, so I make a whole bunch of money. I got a lot of it piled up in my briefcase. I know all these do people do? that don't have uh, jobs right now, but I'm making it hand over fist. And I'm wondering if I could No, good, good for him, though. But but let's talk about it because you'll hear coworkers say this all the time. I don't know if I do that. Like well-meaning people giving you some, you know, some good advice. Really terrible advice. Yeah. Well, you get what you pay for, I think. So 
in that case, you got what you paid for. Uh, you're exactly right with this one, Simon. If you've got your emergency fund built and you're working on paying off debt, if you have any, and you have extra money that's sitting, you know, idly by, or you have a certain amount every single month that you can invest, which is probably better, there's no better time. And by the way, it's not because the market's down X percent. It's because it's the time, you know, now is always the time. And if you have a 10-year time horizon or 20-year time horizon or a 30-year time horizon or 50-year time horizon, then when should you invest? Now, regardless of what's going on. It just so happens that today you get to pick up some of your favorite uh, mutual funds, ETFs, and stocks at prices that are discounted to uh, February prices. But if you've got long-term goals and short-term money, those things don't work. You have to match up your goals with your money. So... Get it in, get it in by uh, nightfall and uh, pay it no attention for the next, uh, I don't know, 30 years. I think you'll always have somebody tell you there's a better time to invest than today. There's always something hidden around the corner. Like, can you think of a time when we ever, that, that we've ever done this show where we thought, man, now is just the perfect time and there's no hidden gotcha. Well, I mean, besides this. Besides, well, but 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 that's a whole different perspective i think that that you and i have listen you and i could you and i could think that this run-up that happened late last week could totally be just a bear trap you know you've got low volume but the but stocks coming up it could go down a lot more it could go down a lot more but we still think it's a great time to invest yeah because we're not trying to exactly pick the good entry points and exit points because we're looking at it from the perspective of I need this money in 30 years from now and I need this money in 31 years from now and 32 years from now and so on and so forth. So therefore it doesn't matter what price it is today. And I think also looking at behaviorally, every time you try to do that, you swing and miss. Sure. Seems like it. You just swing and miss in my personal experience anyway. (laughs) Thanks for the question, Simon. And uh, congratulations on the job and taking your personal finance seriously. You're getting. I might suggest also, by the way, Mr. Moneybags, you know, maybe spread a little good cheer in your neighborhood. You got some small business owners that own a coffee shop or a donut shop and they're out handing out donuts. Maybe you should go buy a whole bunch of them. Maybe go support the local business uh, business guy that's kind of struggling right now because you got so much money. <laughs> Somebody asked. I'm sure, us, you can spare a few bucks from your investment portfolio, Scrooge. Somebody and, asked uh, us that on our Facebook Live the other day. So they don't have money. How can they still support local businesses? And I thought we had a great response, which is promote their Facebook page, uh, send mm-hmm. it out to your friends, so that um, if people that you know do want uh, takeout from the local place on the corner that you help support them. Like it doesn't always take cash. But cash helps, Simon. But 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 cash does help. Thanks for the question, Simon. You got a question for us? Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. And that's how you get to the Haven Lifeline. Hey, that's going to do it for today. Hey, big thanks to everybody for hanging out with us today. It's times like now when you get together with people virtually, that you just remember how much uh, community means to you. So, and we're definitely feeling that right now. So thank you for, uh, for spending some time and, uh, and just know that uh, OG and I are here. And if you've got uh, questions for us, just uh, shoot me an email, joe at stackingbenjamins.com. 
And if you're somebody that has long-term questions, has big money questions and realize you're at the wrong place at the wrong time here and should have set things up a little better, OG and his team are taking clients. Of course, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash OG for more there. All right, that's going to do it for today. Doug, you've got it from here. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from Chauncey. Whether you're talking about paying down debt or just surviving this coronavirus downturn, take ownership of your situation and make a solid plan to see yourself through. You'll see changes financially, socially, and maybe even in your career. Second, take a lesson from our headlines. Whether it's leveraged funds or anything else, the old adage rings true. Don't bet the farm or your 401k on risky stuff. You just might wake up to an empty portfolio. But the big lesson? Never forget who's really in control in your workplace. In this particular domicile, she answers to the name of Mom. All right, all right. One BLT coming right up. Okay, no crusts. I got it. Special thanks to Chauncey Maddox-Ray for stopping by the basement. You can find more from Chauncey and her blog at mydebtepiphany.com or through our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. This show is created by Joe Saul produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm pretty much the guy in charge of everything around here. Trust me, this well-oiled machine didn't get like this all by itself. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. There are so many funny memes, like usually with our basement Facebook group, we have so many funny memes going around. But lately, OG, it's been all memes all the time. Uh, you know, just trying to have a little bit of cheer. I like the one that Samantha had in the, the basement, which is these two older guys in overalls way back out in the woods. And they're saying, moonshine? Hell no, officer. We're making hand sanitizer like that. That's that's good. But the one I really wanted to talk about was this one that Andy shared. 
Andy from Vermont. You ready for these? These are social distancing pickup lines. Oh, you know what? Before we get to that, I got to play this. I wish I could credit where this originally came from. I just saw the meme, and I want to play this meme. This guy, OG, is faced with a choice. Let's listen in. Because of coronavirus, you are going to be quarantined, but you have a choice. Do you, A, quarantine with your wife and child, or B, B. B. He's pretty sure about that. I wish I knew where that came from, but somebody just shared the snippet. Uh, That's my friend Rick. Thanks, Rick, for that one. Uh, But anyway, Andy has these social distancing pickup lines. Did you see these? Mm -mm. If COVID-19 doesn't take you out, can I? Oh, nice. Yep. Is that hand sanitizer in your pocket, or are you just happy to be within six feet of me? Since all the public libraries are closed, I'm checking you out instead. You can't spell virus without you and I. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Come on. Baby, do you need toilet paper? Because I can be your Prince Charmin. No? Without you, my life is as empty as a supermarket shelf. You can't spell quarantine without U-R-A-Q-T. Come on. I really can't stay. Baby, it's COVID-19 outside. <laughs> well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine... You can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD, employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.